Good morning, church. I hope that I hope that you're ready to think about God's love for us. It's not just something that we sing about. Uh, it's it's something that we read about in His Word. It's something that we've had proclaimed to us, and something that has completely changed us. We get to consider that love of God and that grace of God in our time this morning. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians. Uh, we're going to begin reading in, in chapter 1, uh, but we're focused here um, in our time this morning on chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But I would like us to begin reading in verse 15. And while you turn there, I just want to remind you uh, that we have a letter that has been written by the Apostle Paul. And he's, he wrote this letter while he was in prison, about 60 AD. Uh, he was a Jewish man who was... As in his own words, uh, growing and advancing and more zealous than even the rest of those around his age uh, because he was so zealous for the traditions of the Jews that had been passed down to him. And that zeal even led him to persecute Christians and even give his approval when they were being put to death. And it's en route to persecuting Christians that God changed the course of his life forever. And by his son, the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, shined with blinding light and revealed himself to this Jewish man. And he fell on his knees and he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord led him and changed him and forgave his sins. And that man realized that the Messiah, he thought that he was waiting for was one that he had already rejected. And so Christ revealed himself to Paul and changed Paul all by his glorious grace. It's that Paul who writes this letter to the Ephesian church, a church that after Paul had become a Christian, he, he was very much involved in, got to spend at least uh, a couple years teaching, uh, teaching this church. Uh, on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, and so he's, fam he's familiar with the area. He's familiar with the, the work that's been, been done there. Uh, and, and ultimately, it's been his desire to see those in Ephesus and those around Ephesus be strengthened in their love for God by comprehending God's love for them. And so let's just begin in verse 15 uh, together. Before this, we had a greeting. Then we had these verses 3 through 14 where, God was bless where Paul was, was pronouncing blessing on God for blessing us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And then he moves to his prayer for believers. And he says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Let me just pause there. Paul's praying that they would understand the immeasurable greatness of his power that God has had toward believers. And then he's going to show exactly uh, how that's been demonstrated. That power, he says, going on is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the power that God worked in Christ. And he goes on then to detail the power that was at work not only in Christ, but through Christ to believers. Beginning in verse 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and seated us, excuse me, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in, excuse me, of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And we'll just pause right there. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you and we are grateful, Lord, that we have you as our Father and that you, O oh Lord, are God who is rich in grace and mercy. You are God who is powerful, Lord, and so, Lord, not only are you able to do what we could never do for ourselves, but because you are also gracious and merciful, Lord, you have also been willing to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. By grace, O oh Lord, you have saved each and every one of us who have put our faith in you, Lord. We thank you for that. 
And God, we want to be reminded of your power and your grace. We want to understand it better. We want to see it on display in your son and in his perfect obedience, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and seating at your right hand. And Lord, we want to see that same power, Lord applied to our lives as we reflect on where we have come from and what you have done in our lives, Lord. You have done something great. You have done something glorious, Lord. And we want to more deeply appreciate it, understand it, and display it in our lives, oh God. So please help us to that end, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Last week, Kevin walked us through the first three verses of chapter 2. And if I remember correctly, the name of his sermon was The Walking Dead. And so this week, we, we, get to, we get to move past that phase of our life, although we're going to consider it briefly, but we get to move past that phase and consider what God has done to change our lives. We have gone from the walking dead to living trophies of God's grace. How did that happen? It happened because of God. It happened because of God. It wasn't anything that we did, but everything that God did for us. And so if we want to understand God's grace, and we want to understand his power, and we want to appreciate it more deeply, we will do no better than to look at what God did in Christ, which Paul already talked about, but then to also look at our lives, how God has transformed and changed us and brought us to saving faith in him. God has done a marvelous and glorious thing. He has been involved in our lives the most intimate amount of detail, so close, so near, so loving, so merciful, so gracious. Every believer can look and see from their past, from their present, from the things that God has declared about their future, that God is a God of amazing power and grace. And Paul prays that believers would be rooted and grounded in that love, and that they would comprehend the immeasurable greatness of his power. So that's what we're after here. So the main idea in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, is that we are reminded that God has been at work at every stage of the believer's life so that we might better understand, enjoy, and display his amazing power and grace. So let's begin with stage number one. Stage number one, I'm calling what we were. This is what we were. Some of this is a a review from last week, but we see it repeated in verse five when, when Paul says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's describing what 
we were. He's summarizing those first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, where he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what we were. Now, I have to make a distinction here. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, it's super important to understand that you're still in stage one. You're still in this phase where you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But believers are no longer in that stage. It's not something that we can brag or boast about, as we'll find out in a little bit exactly why. But that's the difference of, for those who have put their faith in Christ and those who have not. Believers were in that stage, the same stage that non-believers are still in. But for believers, it's one that they are not in anymore, but one that they were in. And most Plainly, we could describe that stage as a stage of spiritual death. That, that from the moment we were born all the way up until the time when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that whole stage of our life was marked by spiritual death. We were not seeking after God. We were not trying to please God. We were not trying to, to honor God, worship him, serve him, live for him. We were dead. We were following after uh, the lusts of our hearts. We were enslaved to the world, to our flesh, and to the devil. And we were deserving of wrath. As it, Paul says, we were by nature children of wrath. That's not a good place to be. That's a terrifying place to be. But that's exactly where each and every single one of us who have believed in Jesus were. Whether you came to Christ at 10 years old, 20 years old, 30, 40, 50 years old, you were following the course of this world. Maybe some of you in, in more evil ways than others, but all of us, nonetheless, the same condition. Dead. Spiritually dead. What was God doing at this stage of our lives. I mentioned that God has been at work at every stage. And this should encourage the believer. But before we put our faith in Christ, we were dead. And God, in his mercy, was sustaining our lives. God, what was God doing in this stage? God created us in that stage. God put us in our mother's womb. He knit us together in, 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 her, in her belly. He chose the, the parents and the family that, that we would be placed into, the, the, the place and the, uh, the location that, that we would be born. He did all of that, and he even sustained our breath and sustained our lives so that in the moment of his timing, he might bring us to Christ and make us something that we weren't. How do we go from being dead to being alive? 
It's not by anything that we can do. We can't just try harder. We can't just say, hey, today, I don't want to be dead anymore. Stop being dead. No. It's not about any effort. It's not about anything that we could do. We didn't have any interest in Christ. We didn't have any interest in the eternal life that, that he offered. We were dead. A spiritual dead person cannot do anything. Uh, they cannot take any positive step towards life on their own power and will. The only hope for a dead person is that there is someone outside of the dead person who can make the dead person an alive person. That's the only hope. We cannot respond unless he makes us alive. We cannot hear unless he gives us ears to hear. We cannot see unless he opens our eyes. We cannot breathe our first breath as a spiritual newborn unless he, just like he did in the garden, breathes the breath of life into our nostrils, as it describes, and makes us spiritually alive. We need a God to do what we could not do ourselves because we were dead. But the good news for the person who is in Christ is that this is the past stage of your life. This was the first stage. This was something that you were but it's also something that you no longer are. Aren't you glad you're not dead anymore? <laughs> Aren't you glad that you're living? Aren't you glad that you've been saved by grace? This leads us then to, to stage two, what we are now. Look, look with me at verses four through six. It says that, Beginning with the running start here, it says verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's just pause there. The reason I mentioned earlier about why we can't boast, why even, even though believers are not who they were, they are, they are something new now. The reason for that is because that work depended completely and entirely on the things that we see described in these verses. No, notice God's mercy. Notice God's love. Notice God's grace. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And then jumping down, by grace you have been saved. Right? All of this makes it totally clear that we deserved none of it. Right? We, were, we were sinning against him. We were arguing with him. We were running. We were rebelling against him. We were trying to stop him. We wanted nothing to do with him. We were dead. And why would anyone cause their enemy to come to life? Only by love, only by grace, only by mercy are we now what we are. But God. That's the difference between stage one and stage two. But God. 
And I love how it describes him rich in mercy. And I love that we got to sing his mercy is more earlier. But we, guys, we did not just need a little bit of mercy. Amen? Uh, you have a lot of sin. So you don't need a little bit of mercy. You need a lot of mercy. And if you ever thought, man, I, I think I've sinned too much myself for God to ever forgive all of the things that I've done. I'm here to remind you and encourage you that God is rich in mercy. His mercy is greater than all our sins. Where, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds even further. So there's not a single person on the earth, no matter how dead you are, no matter how evil your past has been, no matter how faithful you've been to the world and to your flesh and to Satan, God is rich in mercy. And you are not beyond his reach. You're not beyond his saving power. And not only are you not beyond it, but if you're in Christ, you've already experienced it. All by his grace. All by his mercy and love. He is rich in mercy. He's overflowing with love. And he has saved us by his grace. This is, this is incredible. What are we now? We are alive. We are alive. And we love being alive. And, and, and the former way of life that we have, we now want nothing to do with. Do we fall short? Do we sometimes slip into old ways? Yes. But do we hate the fact that we're doing that? Yes. By the power of God and by the power of the Spirit, do we confess that and seek forgiveness of that and have it? Yes. Are we being sanctified and growing so that we, our life now looks less and less like the life that it was then? Yes. But the only reason we are where we are now is by the grace of God. We are alive. And I, I love what one, one, one writer, Hannah Moore, she gives an excellent explanation, I think, of this transformation from death to life. This grace of God. What, what did God do when he saved us by his grace and made us alive? She writes, the sacred writings frequently point out the analogy between natural and spiritual things. The same spirit which in the creation of the world moved upon the face of the waters operates on the human character to produce a new heart and a new life. By this operation, the affections and faculties of man receive a new impulse. His darkened understanding is illuminated his rebellious will is subdued. His irregular desires are rectified. His judgment is informed. His imagination is ch chastened. Uh, uh, excuse me, is chastised. Uh, his inclinations are sanctified. His hopes and fears are directed to their true and adequate end. Heaven becomes the objects of his hopes, and eternal separation from God the object of his fears. His love of the world is transformed into the love of God. The lower faculties are pressed into the new service. The senses have a higher direction. The whole internal frame and constitution receive a nobler bent. 
the intents and purposes of the mind, a sublimer aim, his aspirations, a loftier flight, his vacillating desires find a fixed object, his vagrant purposes, a a settled home, his disappointed heart, a certain refuge. That heart, no longer the worshiper of the world, is struggling to become its conqueror. Our blessed Redeemer, in overcoming the world, bequeathed to us his command to overcome it also, but as he did, uh, but as he did not give the command without example, so he did not give the example without the offer of a power to obey the command. What a, what a glorious thing to be made alive. To, to hear the gospel. To hear that God is a gracious and forgiving God and that he will pour out his grace and save the person who puts their faith in his son. To not only hear that message and have it fall on deaf ears, but to hear that message with faith and believe it. And then to have a heart change so that we are inclined to living for God for the rest of our days. That is what it looks like to be made alive. By grace, friends, you have been saved. Paul can't help himself after describing that he made us alive, that he just erupts with something he's not even going to to finish and complete until uh, a little bit later in verse 8, which Pastor Kenny will have the the pleasure of, of, of hitting on. But after mentioning that he made us alive, he says, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Those are the realities for us. You see, what we are now, we are new. We are alive. We are saved. We are raised. We are seated in the heavenly places. Do you see the difference between what you were and what you are now? Are you thankful for it? Are you in awe of God that he could, he could do such a thing? Do, do you, do you want to more deeply appreciate and understand his power and grace in your life? Then keep thinking and meditating on these things. And do not forget these things. You are who you are now because of God. And the, this, the, the little words that, or the word that we, we translate as by grace you have been saved, is a word that is in the perfect tense, and it's also a word that's in the passive voice. And so what that means that it's in the perfect tense is that it speaks of something that was completed in the past and has ongoing reality to it, that it is Continuous, continuing to be true of your life. So it, it thinks so. It, pict- it pictures a point, and then continuing on from there, something true of you. You have been saved. You have been saved. That is what is true about you, if you're in Christ. It's also in the passive voice, 
which indicates that you are not the active agent in this thing. You are not the one who brought this about. It was not your strength. It was not your power. It was something that someone else had to do for you. And it's something that only God can do. And it's something that God did do. By grace, you have been saved. It's glorious. That is what we are now. But Paul has still more to add to that. He says that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, what, is, what does that even mean? <laughs> it sounds so wonderful. It sounds like, I, 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 like I'm not on earth, and, and I'm up there with him. That's what it seems like when you read that. But I know that I'm on earth. So, Paul, what are you saying here? Essentially, it's important for us to realize that, that Paul's taking the same things that, that he just mentioned were demonstrations of the power of God to Christ, and then he's saying that same power through Christ is also brought these significant realities to your life as well. So he has just said in verse 20, uh, spoke of the power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then he, now he's saying that the power that God has worked to us is, is that he took us when we were dead and he made us alive and not only made us alive, but just as he raised Christ from the dead physically, so he has raised us from the dead already spiritually. And just as he has raised, as Christ was physically ascended into heaven to occupy the right hand of the Father, so we as well are considered spiritually risen with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Because we belong to Christ, we enjoy and share in all the blessings and benefits of salvation. As these blessings and honors and power has been poured on Christ, comes upon Christ and through Christ to us. Transforming us, changing us, giving us life. I think Martin Luther gives a, a good explanation of this. He says that Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation. The soul is full of sins, death, and damnation. He says, now let faith come between them, meaning between the soul and between Christ. Now let faith come between them. And sins, death, and damnation will be Christ's, while grace, life, and salvation will be the soul's. For if Christ is a bridegroom, he must take upon himself the things which are his bride's and bestow upon her the things that are his. If he gives her his body and very self, how shall he not give her all that is his? And if he takes the body of the bride, how shall he not take all that is hers? I love that. What Christ has experienced and enjoyed already, that power that raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father, we get to enjoy that same power as well because we belong to him. We are his and those realities of his physical death and resurrection 
are the basis for our spiritual resurrection. And also, they are the proof of our future, certain, physical resurrection as well. We are already, in Philippians chapter 3, considered citizens of having our citizenship in heaven. Likewise, in Hebrews chapter 12, it, it, it speaks of those who have believed in Jesus, that they have come. He describes it as they have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Friends, if you have your faith in Christ and you are united to Christ, where Christ goes, you go with him. And where Christ goes, you're going to follow. And so we can understand that if he's there and he's the head, then I'm in him and he's in me and I can already know that I have what he has. Remember this in John 17, verse 24, Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. In that context, where is Jesus talking about when he says that, offers this prayer that they may be with me where I am? He's talking about being at the right hand of the Father. He's talking there and praying that saints would, would be with him and see his glory. In other words, I think that they might be seated with him in the heavenly places. This is who we are. This is what we are now. We are alive. We are raised with Christ. We are seated with Christ. And we get to enjoy that all by God's matchless mercy, love, and grace we are not who we once were. It's also true that we are not who we will be. But we are now what we are now by the grace of God. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Be encouraged by that, church. He's done it for you. He's done it for you. This is who you are. God has been at work at every stage of your life to bring you to enjoy this and to enjoy a whole lot more. God has been faithful. He has been gracious. He has been merciful. And he has made you what you are now. You are alive and you are saved by grace. This leads to our third stage, what we will be. I've already hinted at this a little bit in some of the stuff that I've discussed already. But this third stage is, is what we will be. In verse 7, it says here, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches, the measurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what's that mean? Well, most basically, it means that God's work in our life is not over when we die. 
God's work in our life continues forever. God has a plan and an eternal purpose for saving us and raising us and seating us with Christ in the heavenly places. And it's to put on display his amazing grace so that all of us now and forevermore in the coming ages, whether that's his kingdom or whether that's the new heaven and the new earth, all the future ages, all the rest of eternal, you know, future we are going to be his living trophies of grace. Always displaying, always revealing, always reminding that God is a gracious God, that God is a powerful God, that God is a merciful God. What a joy. What a joy that we get to look forward to in the coming ages. We will get to experience forever and enjoy forever his kindness and his grace given to us through Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're going to be with Christ forever. You're going to be, if you put your faith in him, you're going to be with Christ forever. And God's work of, of, that he has done in you and through you will never come to an end and will forever be a display of his amazing grace and mercy. You are going to enjoy him and his kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. A couple passages describe this for us. Daniel 7 verse 18 says, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Daniel 7 27 says that in the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. That's the future. That's what we will be. We will be forever enjoying God's kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son, and the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 22 describes the new heaven and the earth this way. Describing the saints there says that they shall see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's what we will be. 
hope that you've been encouraged, have we, uh, uh, believers, that as, as we thought about what you were, what you are now by God's grace, and what you will be, that it'll give you hope in the midst of the greatest difficulties in this life now, that it would be a, a secure anchor for your soul when you're going through trials, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through pain, when you're going through persecution. These are the things that we need to know and we need to be confident and in, in, in certain of if we are going to live lives that display to others his power and grace. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. And it's why he saved us. Look at what Paul says. I think this brings together everything that we've, we've seen thus far. In First in Timothy, and this verse was mentioned a couple times this morning, but let's just notice in First Timothy, verse 14, Paul says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, hear this, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Why has he saved you by grace? Well, why has he been at work through your whole life and brought you to, brought you to faith in Christ and, and done all this? Yes, you know your future, but there's work right now for you to display his grace to others who, who are going to come to believe. God wants his grace and his power shown in our lives put on display so that others encounter and hear about his grace, hear about his, 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 his gospel, and upon hearing and hearing and believing are saved and enter themselves to eternal life. This is the work that he has done in our lives. This is why he has saved us. So I want to encourage you to go ahead, church, Go ahead and keep putting God's power and grace on display. You don't have to act like you're perfect. You don't have to act like you have it all together. But what you do have to know and embody to others is that you have a powerful God who has saved you by his grace. Can you do that this week? Can you tell somebody that you have a powerful God who has saved you by his grace? Tell them about who you were. Tell them about who you are now and how you've become who you are now. And tell them about God's promises for what you will be so that others can know, so that others can hear, so that others can believe and experience the same. Be a living trophy of his grace. That's what you are. So live it out and seek to live it out more and more faithfully. Reuben demonstrated what it is to be a trophy of God's grace. 
We got to hear crazy stories of Reuben's life before he was a believer. We got to hear about the discos and the pros <laughs> and the gold chains. We got to, we got to hear, and, and, you know, even in the, in the midst of, of non, non-believing, you know, family members sharing uh, about Reuben, we got to hear about, his, about how Reuben was. And then we all got to testify, and everyone testify, even non-believing family, family members and friends realized that Reuben, <laughs> Reuben is now what he was. Reuben is different than how he once was, and they could all see that. And we got to rejoice and testify that God had done an amazing thing in Reuben's life in bringing him to Christ. And even in his sickness, even in his weakness, the nurses were amazed by him. They are humbled. And our brother, you guys, our brother, wonderfully, in his death, put on display the power and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now he's seated with him in the heavenly places. You're not dead yet. Your life, spiritually, you're not dead physically yet. So you have time to shine, church. And that's what he's called you to do it. So go, share with others. Write, tweet, send an email. Tell someone, make a song. Run down the street screaming at the top of your lungs. <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you'd want to do, just, just put it on display. You've been saved by grace. What a glorious God. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this saving grace. And Lord, we plead with you right now, knowing that anyone, Lord, who has heard about what you have done in sending your son to pay the penalty for our sins and how you raised him from the dead and you seated him at your right hand. He's going to come again to judge the living and the dead and we're going to have to give an account to you. And we know that if, if we don't ever move past stage one, Lord, then we will be lost forever. But there is hope, Lord, because you are God who's rich in mercy and grace. And so we pray even now, Lord, anyone hearing this message or here this morning, Lord, We pray, God, that they would hear with faith and that they would come to life right now. That they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and that they would be saved, Lord. God, enable them to do that. And Lord, grow us deeper and deeper in our appreciation and gratitude for what you have done. We thank you so much, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.